0: This is a Strategist, episode 979. My name is Zane Belgium. You know, Zane, I can't a... live this lie any longer. It's yeah. not episode 979. <laughs> 934, we actually had, uh, ran a few different times. No. So, yeah. Really? So this is actually our 1,000th episode. Is it really? This is our 1,000th episode. Yeah, fuck off. Drop the balloons. Throw the confetti.
1: Oh this is this is this amazing Carter day. thank you. This is this is very exciting and Corey, you know to celebrate that excitement on episode uh, 978 also known as episode 999 uh we soft launched uh, the Strategist Patreon uh which of course is available at one of the websites between strategistpatreon.com and the strategistpatreon.com not sure which one. Anyway, yeah. uh, congratulations to the 14 people uh that have signed up thus so far. Uh, <laughs> so, you, I, know, you know what my favorite part
0: of this? My favorite part of this is Stephen Carter said I bet you we get a thousand people sign up.
2: (laughs) I didn't, I did not put a timeline on it, right? Like as soon as they start finding out that they don't get regular, you know, regular episodes, cause you know, the podcast audience needs to have people like, you need to record for them like every Sunday and every Thursday. That's what we've been doing religiously now for a thousand, a thousand episodes, Corey. Yeah. One thousand episodes.
0: Well, we always said the first thousand were the trial episodes, yeah, they were the trial paywalled, yeah yeah those are the, the now now that now that you 've had the sample of a thousand episodes of Sundays and Thursdays going forward, starting this Thursday, uh, you do need to be uh, a patron on Patreon in order to get the Thursday episodes, so to do that you know that 's the lowest level that 's six dollars a month. You can send topics and questions to Zane. He will ignore them, yeah. but you will get your Thursday episodes. And depending on our recording schedule, that's somewhere between a low dollar fifty per extra episode or infinite dollars if we, yeah. if we actually end up. If know, we don't do there, any, yeah. There's some, <laughs> risk. there's some risk there for you. You pay your money, you <laughs> take your chances. Uh, yeah, so... Consider it. Consider it hard. Now, sell
2: the $10 uh, level, right? I mean, that's, I the, one to, that, okay. that's the one that Zane it's thinks people really want to buy. Fucking terrible at sales. Jesus
1: Christ. Sell the $10 what, level. Me, yeah, me, can I step in at some point? No. Nah, well, okay. Sure.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: Strategistpatreon.com. Okay, so that's where you need to go in order to sign up for the Patreon. Now, Corey, let's be very clear. At Strategistpatreon, there's there's multiple levels. But the lowest level, I'd say that's where a significant value comes from. And of course, there's more value at the 10 there's significantly more value at the twenty, and then of course Carter. There's there's the infinite uh, fifteen hundred dollar version, which uh, which I'm sure which I'm sure is a real get.
0: leap. There's a real leap between tier three and four. <laughs> the
2: fifteen hundred dollar one is value though, because you get to sit on stage with us during the live show, and we will make fun of you during the live show. There's still time to buy. That's the only way into the live show on, on next week. It's the only it is, way. It's a,
0: really a very very tragic level because it's not only you pay for friends, you're actually paying for enemies.
1: This oh is, yeah, this is true. And we'll try our best. Now we can't guarantee this. We'll try our best to make sure that fifteen hundred dollars doesn't just get you a, a seat on the stage for our show, but any live show. We'll try our best. We may not be able to succeed, yeah. but any live show at the Martha Cohen, we'll try to reserve a spot for you on stage. I mean, it may or may not work, but once again, you, you, you arts, pay your money and you take your chances. Arts right? Commons
2: oh. in general. I mean, you could be in the Christmas Carol for God's sake. We're making it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't know. That seems like a good. That seems like a good. That's a great me. deal.
2: Great deal.
0: It's yeah. a great point. Great yeah. point. Ten dollars a month live stream video. You can actually watch how the sausage is made. It's exactly like listening to it here. We actually had to,
2: we had to invest in new new software to do that. We had to spend money to get people. Well, it's to
0: make, a it's a good thing those fourteen fucking people have signed up to to support this well, fledgling. we have also
2: got three. we going four hundred people gonna, coming to, to the live show? We're, we're are making are we, are cash we gonna, bank. What. Are we going to record? Are we going to record an episode
1: for 14 people? Here's what I say. Oh, yeah. If, no, if yeah. no more than 16 people sign up, I'm not I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> are up. you fucking kidding me? There is a 50 50 chance you don't show up on Sunday, anyways. You know, you don't even come. Are you going to come to the live show? Can we get a verbal commitment that you'll oh, be there? Oh, we
1: should say. We should say for anyone attending the live show, the bar opens at uh, at seven. So if you do want to come early before the show, um, Stephen Corey will be there maybe a quarter past seven. I'll show up, uh, closer to showtime. Yeah. Um, I, I have
2: uh, no intention. You have to do a technical <laughs> rehearsal at four. Uh, we'll see. We'll
1: see Can how Can you it works. please
2: be there? I'm asking for, for everyone at four. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is ridiculous. Carter, pull up the email. Do the run of the show. Pull it up. No, we're good.
0: We're good. We're good.
1: Are we good? Corey, anything, we're else? Good. anything else on your soft sell for the uh, Strategist Patreon? Thursday episodes now on. We'll, we'll do okay, – I, I will say this. Our Thursday episodes will continue. They'll be on Patreon. We might throw in some additional experimental stuff in there too. Might do deep dives on things. Might do chatter on, on things that we find interesting that might not neatly fit into a segment. Um, happy to discuss what that looks like. Do indeed, if you do sign up, we'll figure out a way to, to have you send me topic ideas, etc. I will ignore 98% of them, but that 2%, you could be part of that 2%. I exactly. mean, it's all a gamble, but it really could be worth it for you to, to, to ensure that you send us topic areas and, and pay uh, your Patreon uh, dollar amount for the Thursday episodes, which... Uh, which we might may or may not record on Thursdays, Corey. This really, this really could be a tremendous value or a tremendous grift, and I don't, I really don't know which one <laughs> oh, yet. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, working? I'm the one
0: who needs to work on the sales pitch. No, out. listen, okay, very listen. good.
1: I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. There's a reason why we sold out so quickly for the live show. I have to say, my infomercial was about 95 percent of the reason why. Oh yeah, that uh, was I, good. Yeah, sir. people yeah, loved good. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, people did like that. Yeah. Are we good? Are we good? Are we good? Shilling, Corey. Yeah, let's do a show. <laughs> This yeah, guy. I this wish this was we, live streamed. You've got like your hands on your temples as if you're like losing consciousness. What's going on? <laughs> are, you, are you okay?
2: Can we get on to something that people it. care about? I did really well with my AFL predictions this week and I just wanted to spend some time talking about it, you know? Like really well with my AFL predictions. I'm now in second place in my league.
0: Uh, this two-person league of yours you won't shut up about. Just- there
2: are way more than two people. There's like Fourteen people. I'm in the okay. the top- leave that.
1: We'll leave that there. We're gonna move it on to our first segment. <laughs> our first segment. Super pumped. Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. Oh yeah. Jason Kenny went viral on Friday for uh, pumping car. No, pumping gas and <laughs> pumping car into his truck. <laughs> pumping gas into his truck and then not being able to take out the nozzle. Uh, this video viewed more than more than a million times on Twitter. Made the rounds, but I don't want to spend too much time on the actual now meme, I guess. Uh, uh, But I want to talk about the art of the photo op and what to do when your photo op goes wrong. And Carter, when I, when you saw this for the first time, when you saw this online, uh, what was your first feeling? Was it sympathy for for Jason, Kenny? Was it fear, and then let's get into the where did your strategist brain go on this in terms of, oh shit, how do I clean this mess up? I want to talk about that overarching theme on, on this segment around, you know, what a practitioner or strategist or a comms rep, what goes through their mind, how they construct these photo ops to begin with, and then how do they plan for them to go disastrously long, wrong, kind of like how it did for Jason Kenney. So Carter, top line thoughts. I've kind of teed up what I want to do for the rest of that th- segment, but but give me your top line thoughts and I'll do the same for Corey next.
2: I'm not sure i felt sympathy for him in fact i just kind of more or less looked at it more in a detached fashion i thought you know i bet you they didn't ne- they didn't practice uh, because filling up your car with gas is <laughs> you pra- know <laughs> seriously you normally in a photoshop Wait, would the, you have would you have held practice sessions carter listen in the in in yeah a technical rehearsal is what that's called you should be there at four o'clock on sunday Nope, technical <laughs> rehearsal so the um Normally in a photo op, you do go through the elements of the photo op. You do a run through. Uh, if you're doing proper staging, you do not want to show up with the media and the cameras and do something for the very first time. Because um, the pressure of the cameras will make it go badly, right? So everything should be rehearsed in advance. Now, filling up your car with gas is probably something you don't think you know, we should rehearse this. We should make sure that that this particular gas tank doesn't have uh, a difficult to get in or a difficult to get out um gas tank. It shouldn't be that hard. Now, one would think he's filled up his tr- truck with gas before. I mean, that thing guzzles some gas. I'll tell you that. It takes some gas all the time. So theoretically, he's done this before, but something just didn't work. And, you know, I didn't feel, like I say, I didn't feel bad for him, but I did think immediately this is definitely something they didn't rehearse and they They probably should have.
1: Corey, initial thoughts for you. Was it uh, there should have been a rehearsal? No, that's not my my initial thought. When you saw it, when you saw it, I actually sent it to us in our chat group. What What were you thinking when you flipped it over to us?
0: Well, I was thinking live by the prop truck, die by the prop truck, right? And, and part of the reason why it's mm-hmm. hard to have sympathy for Jason Kenney in this moment is not because it's not a gotcha moment. It's not as though Tom Ross just happened to be at the gas station with the premier of Alberta and said, Oh, Mr. Premier, Mr. Premier, sort of interrupt you. Well, you're filling up your car, but I've got some questions for you. And this, this happens. And it's this fumbly moment. This was staged. It was staged as a prop it was a gimmicky thing to say like, look at me, I'm now filling up with cheap gas and it went horribly awry. And you know, I think that's where it's very difficult to have sympathy. It's very Funny, by the way, watching that clip as the look of horror comes over the premier's face as he realizes there's something, as it realizes he's failing at the act of pumping gas. But you know,
1: (laughs) and as probably as a political practitioner over the years himself, he probably knows what like four seconds in of like trying to pull it out probably means.
0: You invite, you created this moment that you know is going viral as this is happening. Yes. And there's just, there's no. There's no good way out of it at that point. Like the minute the joy dropped from his face, it was over. Like in a funny way, it's it goes back to that rule of never let him see you sweat, which is yeah. part of what I want to sort of pack or jump into if we talk about this from a like a gaffe crisis management point of view. Uh, but this is actually a known problem with Dodge Ram trucks. If you Google Dodge Ram truck gas nozzle, you will see, and this is a quote, a class action lawsuit claims that FCA US LLC knowingly sells Dodge Ram trucks with a defective gas filler neck that prevents customers from efficiently filling their truck with gas, and in some cases, causes gas nozzles to get stuck in their vehicles.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so That like, actually makes it better. Yeah, yeah. right? Oh,
0: totally. totally you know, better. so like it's... Let's put it this way. Let's be let's be fair. The Why premier of Alberta knows how to fill up a truck with gasoline, okay? But this was just one of those moments, and sometimes in politics you have those moments where shit goes wrong for no foreseeable good reason.
1: Uh, Carter, I want to talk about gaff management and and what Corey's mentioning here, but let's put the pump the brakes on that.
2: Oh, nice. I see what you did. That's good. good. Do you you have the
1: soundboard? What happened to the fucking soundboard? (laughs) What happened to the soundboard? Thunderous (laughs) applause and and shock chuck morning radio. We're saving that for the
2: Thursday night (laughs) episode. Thursday episodes get the special Uh, effects. Carter, honestly,
1: like, usually... Actually, this is is good, because you just came off running a campaign most recently uh, from the three of us. Photo ops, do they still work, man? Like, are they just so... Tired and lazy and gimmicky and just so. Ugh! Why do we still do them? Why do practitioners still do them? Why do the media still show up? I'm really curious. Like, and I'm asking this in earnest because I'm genuinely curious. If you had to resource allocate photo ops, still Carter? Really?
2: Well, I was very lucky. We didn't have to do photo ops because it was COVID time, right? So, uh, oh, okay. the the only yeah. photo ops that we were looking at doing. Uh, actually wound up getting canceled. So we were going to do the traditional campaign HQ photo op, fill it with 500 people, you know, 400 people or whatever. It's going to be one of those. Look how much momentum. Yeah. Look how much momentum we've got. We're opening our HQ, blah, blah, blah. Uh, saved from having to do that. I don't like doing them. I think that you're right. I mean, they're, they're tired. They're hard. They're hard to get media attention at. Um, it's easier when they when you're the premier or you're the mayor or you're the, the prime minister because, um, they have other questions they want, you know, the media want to layer on other questions at your photo op. You want them to focus on your photo op and get your message out. That is your goal. Yeah. Their goal yeah. is to get you on whatever the topic of the day, is, whatever the topic of the, uh, the moment is. And it's a little bit of a jousting back and forth between what you want and what they want. And, and, you know, it's part of the deal, right? Part of the deal is you know you're going to have to answer some of their questions, and they know that they're going to have to they're going to have to cover your, um, you know your photo issue or whatever you're doing that particular day. Um, the trick is to give an uh, the trick is to give a photo op that is relevant to the topic and actually interesting enough that you can in fact bring out the cameras, especially if you're not the premier, the the, the you know the mayor or the or the prime minister. Um, so if you're the candidate. In trying to actually do a photo mm. op, you can't just do, you know, like, oh, we're going to do a uh, defend or, you know, defend the draft or drop the draft protest that they did this weekend uh, throughout Alberta. And we're going to have the media show up because we've got everybody dressed in red. Yeah, I mean, maybe the media showed up, but it's not a very compelling photo op it we've we've seen that photo before and what you really need to be thinking is can i put a photo? Fo- can, can, can i actually do something where people haven't seen this photograph before and and it actually has meaning and uh the people shooting it um you know the photographers the 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 videographers uh and the reporters they can actually get a unique story out of it because that's what they're looking for um, they're looking for a good story that's packaged up that people will watch
1: mm. Corey, how is, uh, I'll ask you that same question in a second, but maybe you can help us understand this. How is a photo op sold to the media? Is it sold generally, come watch the premier pump some gas? I expect not, right? Or, or like it's probably scaffolded in what you said, right? The, the, the tax is no longer being applied on the provincial side, the gas is cheaper, the premier is going to pump some gas. How are these things generally sold? And then to your point from a practitioner's eye, the efficacy and the effectiveness of photo ops these days, your commentary on both?
0: Yes. Um, well, there's, there's two things that you can think of when you think of a photo op. You can think of a pure photo op where it's no questions. We're just going to be, this is an opportunity Doing for stuff. photography to be taken. Yeah. Um, I can think of a million in my career where it's come here and see Brian Mason put on a hockey jersey or come watch, um, uh, well, you, you many of the ones we're most familiar with are familiar with because they went horribly awry. But yeah. Yeah. you know. Uh, but generally speaking, that's one type, and that's the rarer type, although it certainly exists. Is that a more
1: campaigny type? Is that fair? to Yeah, say? it
0: is. And and so we'll, you know, I'll, I'll circle back to that. Yeah. But the more common one is it's part of the bundle. It's okay. There's a media availability, and in the comment on the media availability on the news release, it says like visuals. You know, the the photos will be available in this setting or uh, however right, it's presented right, right, on there, right. but what it what you're always trying to do in media relations and the public relations side is you're trying to put together a compelling bundle that can then be taken by the media and presented to their viewers in a way that helps them do their job, and their job is to sell newspapers or it's to get people to turn on the news for the six o'clock. And so you want compelling visuals for that because that's what drags people back. And so you help them do that by providing more than just standing in front of a lectern all of the time. Mm -hmm, Maybe mm -hmm. maybe that lectern's in front of a jet engine. Maybe it's not a lectern at all. Maybe you're going for a run with the person who was affected by this, whatever it may be. So I, I think they're actually pretty important still. I think the idea of compelling visuals has not changed because of the internet or social media. I feel, if anything... That hook is more important um, because you, you can't sort of guarantee eyeballs in the same way because every individual reader is going to decide whether it's worth sharing or not.
1: Carter, you wanted to jump in. Uh, do that, and then I've got a question for you that's maybe contrasting and comparing what we've seen, I'd say, in the last half decade with the Prime Minister's photo ops, which are very much almost all of them. Except the ones that have been leaked in, in other circumstances, are done by official photography. They're like, you know, like Adam Scott is out there. He's taking these photos, being, look, the prime minister just jumped on. Uh, it was just, you know, going for a run and this couple was proposing and he happened to be there. Like those sort of moments have rarely been media moments. They've actually been moments for the PM's photographers kind of fed to the media. But, Cardi, you want us to jump in and I'll get that contrast piece in thereafter.
2: I think that uh Corey's point about the backgrounds and stuff is really interesting because this is now a moment when uh we are watching different campaigns go in different directions. Um uh, there is the formalized photo op that, that Corey described, you know, like uh Flair Airlines is opening up in Edmonton and uh you know, in front of Flair Airlines uh stands uh Premier Kenny the, the saying this okay. is gonna be three hundred and fifty new jobs for uh for Albertans for a good five or six months. And uh this is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's actually great. <laughs> so so there's that standard photo op but then there's also something that's happening in the culture in the media right now and that culture in media now has people popping in front of their bathroom mirrors to take tiktoks right and some of the politicians no no politician has been tremendously successful at tiktok yet i mean people will come at me it's with saying he's got nine hundred thousand followers they're not real okay so let's just move past that but um pierre paliev is getting closer right and um, you know, some of the younger politicians, some of the MLAs are starting to get there. And we're starting to see that sometimes just walking down the street without a backdrop, with just the video of yourself holding a selfie stick or whatever, talking to the camera, that might be some of our new, but that may not be a photo op. That may be a new type of media. So I may be mm. bringing the two together where, where they aren't actually together. You guys, well,
1: this is interesting because it's
2: porous And Corey, jump in. I mean,
1: that
0: porosity is something that people struggle with day in, day out in, uh, in any organization large enough to have both social media components and, you know, direct right. media relations. And I, so there is, there is the idea of intermediated. Uh, communication. So you are putting something together for the media. You want to have a compelling suite of things for them to have, whether that is uh, quotes in your news release, mm-hmm. media availabilities, uh, an opportunity to take photos of them or get video of of the principal who's talking, uh, whatever you think is going to help build that. And then there's what we called a decade ago, the content marketing side. That's the owned content. That's the things you do yourself and produce yourself. And the line is blurring and it's blurring for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of new fly-by-night media outlets Mm -hmm. that will happily take anything that you don't have a copyright on. There are existing older media outlets that just don't have the budget to send people everywhere and will take content... That you create, yeah, yeah, that you create, less intermediated. I've seen way too many times in my career at this point, people write a story entirely from a news release and and you think, poof, ouch, okay. But, you know, it's fine and it's the way it's sort of going. And so that line is a little bit blurred, right? Yeah. But generally speaking, historically, and this is changing as we're talking about that porosity, you could pretty much guarantee that the, the file photos you presented of your person in the greatest light it's not going to be that that interesting to the media. They're going to want to get their own photos in part because they think their reputation rests on on not looking like their Pravda, right? Where yeah. its the premier has shown up or or has sent you a bunch of photos of, of you know like him flexing with enormous muscles in front of a, you know, whatever it is, but yeah.
1: yeah. Wait, can I stick with you on this for a second because okay, we've explained to the audience uh, how the first part of this works, how you're pitching the media, right? The pure photo op or like the bundled package. I think we understand that. What goes on in the staffer capacity, Corey? Like if you are, let's say you're the director of communications or you're the the staffer responsible for this bundle. Let's use that second category, right? Because sure. I think this one was more in that bundle category. What are you prepping on your side? Are you you're obviously prepping who from the media is gonna be there, who you've pitched, what other sort of elements are part of your mini comms plan? And I'm getting closer. I'm inching towards the gaff and crisis management element. But before we get there, what are you kind of preparing for? Let's use the Kenny example for that photo op that happened at the end of last week. What sort of things would a staffer uh, have, have prepared for in that regard?
0: Yeah, so... <sighs> There is no absolute this is the way you do it, but generally speaking, you would have brainstorming done by your communications team who would come up with ideas and uh, ideally would know the venue if there was a venue in question or uh, would have an idea that they would be able to sort of run down with a gas station owner in this case or something like that. But it was likely operationalized by tour. And during a campaign, probably tour would do it all from soup to nuts, right? Yep. They, yep. The day before, they would be scoping out the venues uh, that they were going for the next day's announcements. They would be looking at the angles. They would be thinking about the visuals. I have seen tour people do things like, if there's an inconvenient exit sign, knock that exit sign out of the way. Or no, they've got to take it down or cover it up in, in some mm-hmm. sort of sense, right? So they're, they're actually doing the shot. Like they're sitting back with their hands and they're saying, OK, what's this going to look? like uh as they set up the meteorizers here and they take the shot of our principal who's there. How's this all gonna feel? How's this gonna be? Mm-hmm. And for things that are not so much the pumping the gas, but they will even, you know, stand up there at the lectern and someone roughly the same height as their candidate and they will yep. say, okay, that's what it's gonna look like. And that's how the meteorizers will be set up. And we know it'll be set up at this height and this is this is how it's gonna be. Um, so that's generally how it goes. It, when you have something like this gas pump thing, it's generally somebody has a brainwave though and says, mm. "I know how we're going to make this interesting we're going to create a visual by sending the premier to go pump his gas right yeah. that's that's not something that happens accidentally, and that does tend to be more of a communications driven approach to these things
1: Carter, what else is <clears throat> you've been a chief of staff to a premier? What else is part of that plan is 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 and this is where I'll kind of start getting into the crisis element of it are like remedial or plan B's or if this goes wrong sort of elements built into that plan or is that just gut instinct if it happens it happens tell me from your experience and then let's talk about best practice in that regard too like where is this talking about porosity where is the line between over planning for something to go wrong versus political instinct uh, for if something goes wrong, we've got the brain, we've got the brains and the talent to figure that out. H- how do you kind of balance that as a political operation? I'm sorry if I'm getting too into the weeds. I just find no. this interesting In- myself.
2: Jean Charest just let out a. Uh, a- Video tonight, right? So it wasn't a video photo op, but I'm going to continue our porous uh, connection mm-hmm. between these things and just allow us to, to, to you pull examples. He's standing in front of a, uh, essentially a wall of brochures, right? You know, like you go to the, yeah. the, the tourism place and there's all those brochures you can take. Um, he's standing in front of that and, you know, he just looks like he's a guy lost on vacation. Right. He looks like he doesn't know where he's going. And so you would, as a as a advanced person, a good advanced person or a good social media person and this all blurs, you should be looking at and saying, what's the symbolism here? What is the symbolism that we are sending? And is it some sort of a symbolism that will in turn flip back on us? So I'm not necessarily planning for the gaffe. Right. I'm not planning for the mistake. What I'm planning for right. is that this thing that we set up, how is it going to be read poorly? Right. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a, um, a thing where you're talking about the poor and, and, you know, or you, you know, there is a, you know, there's a thing where you're trying to get, get, get restaurants to, to, to take all their leftover food to homeless shelters. I don't know. Right. Just a thing like that. Right. You don't show up in the Gucci suit. Right? Like, you don't show up in the perfect clothes. You make sure that you're dressed appropriately. You're, you're planning the shoot so that it represents the message that you want to get across. That's your primary goal. Not to necessarily say, you know, what if he can't take the. You know, the gas handle out of the truck. Like, that's not something you're thinking about because that's just probably not going to pop into your mind. What you might be talking about is, you know, is this really the message that we want to send at a time when we've had climate crisis in Alberta? You know, six of the 10 largest climate events have been in Alberta. Um, you know, we just had the West Coast completely washed out and we were unable to access the lower mainland because of flooding. Is this the time to have the premier pumping gas? Now, if it was rachel notley it wouldn't be but this premier wants to send the visual signal that's the opposite of that so it was totally fine so he sent the visual signal no one on his team thought you know anything was going to go wrong and for all intents and purposes it didn't go wrong until that moment when he was unable to extract which is something no one's planned for
1: of course and so this is what i want to talk about Corey, which is how much of like unplanned scenarios are you thinking through scripting, like, whether it's in the larger category of this could be a any gaffe, maybe this particular one or anyone, is that all political instinct that you're like, we've got the brain talent, we'll figure it out? Or is, is some of that actually pre-planned and scripted, and do you kind of have, like, a philosophy of engagement around what that looks like, if you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, let's start here. Most photo ops or most parts of a media veil that are about the photo op, um, are generally designed to be low risk affairs, Mm. really, really designed to take the risk out of them because it's a cost benefit analysis, right? If you have something, how many photo ops can you remember? There's, there's multiple ones a day from the government. The ones we tend to stick with are the ones where something goes awry. And as a result, you do tend to take a bit of a risk averse approach to this. Like you're not going to, for example, have a photo op with somebody that you don't know how they're going to react. Uh, mm-hmm. right that that would cause you all sorts of troubles you 're not going to go for example, and uh, like main street in deeply hostile territory you 're going to go to the this store that you already know that they they love you at that store and they 'd happily tell you about all of all of the good things that can go on uh, but there are you know there are kind of global approaches you have to take to this because things do go wrong. Um, I can think of simple, dumb things like uh, gusts of wind coming up, knocking off mm-hmm. or down all of the visuals that are behind i can I think of some of the the bigger more embarrassing ones that are more about the construction of it there was this when i was in government there was this dreadful budget shoe photo op with joe cc where he wore virtual shoes and uh, so he's wearing yeah so he's wearing like a vr headset and he's putting on virtual shoes as the budget event but the photo op is just a man looking lost with his arms out wearing a giant <laughs> helmet right so uh, you know construction fails there but when, when you get stuck with a bad photo op, there's, there's just a couple of variations of the same rule, which is never let them see you sweat. Hmm. Because a bad photo op's one thing. It becomes a worse photo op when it looks like you can't handle the bad photo op in, in some way, shape or form, right? So you just smile. You don't flinch. You keep moving on with it. You go with it, right? And, uh, it, it, when we think about the truly horrendous photo ops, I would imagine if you search your brain for them, you will think of, the reaction of the person actually being the more dammy thing, nine times out of ten. Jill DeSep wearing his hairnet. Oh, yeah. What, the 2000 election? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? I Anyone do. remember oh, that? Oh,
0: God, yeah. The forced <laughs> smile on his face was worse than the hairnet. Yeah. Right? Cause he, he looked so clearly like, oh, fuck me. Look, this is terrible. He know,
1: he, in the moment, he knows what's happening.
0: Dan Quayle, potato, adding the E when he, when it goes wrong and you get almost that curb your enthusiasm style Larry David look <laughs> yeah. on his face. Like, oh, fuck. Okay uh George Bush with the grocery scanner same thing like the the moment where they're caught and it's terrible is actually is is the kind of the capturing thing uh lesser extent because it's more a physical reaction here in Canada Robert Stanfield fumbling the football yeah sure the look on his face—the well, the,
2: uh, the one I always remember—is Stockwell Day on the on the jetski. Well, could
0: you? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And you know, funny to me, I can't recall his reaction there. I don't remember I his
0: just, re- reaction. I, I, just, I feel like that was that was more of the type. Well, with because it's the virtual was coming shoes. for so yeah. long, it's
1: just like yeah. you're like, okay, track it. But Carter, same question or, or say, a version of that question to you. Let's get more particular. When you when you what were your, what would your rules be in terms of? Gaffe management. Corey's talking about never let him see you sweat. It's always a reaction that matters more. What were your sort of rules that you try to hammer into a candidate or the staffer on site around if anything goes wrong, here are your principles of how you adopt this? And then we'll get into the specifics of this Kenny one and what you guys would have done. But what are some of your rules around gaff management or, 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 or can you manage this gaff? on the fly in the moment
2: well i mean if you're if you're really good you can manage the gaffe on the fly and in the moment um you know you you rise above it and you you know you make a joke or or you do whatever um and i think that kenny actually did a pretty good job of not just like i think he died for five seconds and then he rose above it afterwards right kenny was you could see him die a little bit right at the beginning and he knew this was going to go viral um and he rose above it kind of immediately thereafter and he kind of made a joke about it kind of in the moment, which was pretty fun. Um, the, the best though is when you're able to take this thing that's going viral and jump on it and turn it into something. And that's what he did the next day when they, when they put out the meme that was, uh, you know, Jason Kenney, uh, I can't remember the exact meme, but he put he put out his own meme, um, which I think we shared on our little strategist. Like Insta- chat.
1: Instagram versus reality, yeah.
2: yeah, Instagram versus reality. That theme, and and for me, that meme was perfect for it because, um, that meme, you know, poked fun at yourself, but it didn't demean you. You know, he wasn't demeaned by it. Shit happens. You know, you have to not, you know, the part of the problem with the with Stanfield dropping the football was the. He got caught in the pose, you know. It, it was a still photograph. I think if it had been video, it wouldn't have been nearly as bad as the still as the still photo.
1: You know, part of the reason I think a lot of people are are finding joy, if I can say it that way, about this Kenny meme and 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 uh, fail. Is because of the reason Corey mentioned that this is a prop truck that he doesn't use. It's part of the cosplay, and and you know, good for him because he he probably never uses this truck. Probably has no idea uh, about uh, the class action lawsuit against the Dodge Ram uh, that Corey mentioned. Has probably not had this happen to him before. If he had, he probably would not have used this truck. But Corey, from your perspective, right? Like, what other rules are in place here that you would kind of consider? regarding the gaffe. And then let's get into the specifics of what you would have done if you were advising Jason Kenney.
0: Carter is very right about the ability to, to pass it off, make a joke of it, uh, be quick on your feet. Some people can do it more ably than others, and it's easy to sort of Monday morning quarterback this. But what you want to do in that is not actually create a gap between it because things are clipped in this day and age. And yeah. most people have no idea what Jason kenny said after fumbling with the, with yeah. the gas pump because that was, you know, is the 12 seconds they saw of you know, him attempting to get it out. But, you could almost imagine instead of the, the look coming off his face or him struggling and then coming up with something in a perfect world. Like if I try to construct the perfect reaction to this, sure. right? You would want it to not look too bad. You would want to reinforce your key message. And and so you'd say something like instantly as it's not coming out. Like, oh, this cheaper gas, it doesn't want to let go. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Or something to that effect. <laughs> uh, but that's that's easy to say, hard to do. What would you have done moment. on the staffer's side? So let's say he couldn't think of that. That happens. The moment goes in, he goes back in the truck and he's like, oh, Fuck, right, he knows. You guys all know. What would you? Yeah. Wh- wh- how important is speed? I have a question. How important is speed and reaction? Because Carter, you talked about the next day. I-, I believe it was the day after. I think it's thirty six hours later that they okay, came up with yeah. that. I mean, you guys could correct me wrong. How f- how important is speed? And what what are kind of some of the principles you think of w- in this case when it would have happened? What would you have done, Carter? What, or Corey, Corey? Let's go to you, Corey. Your, your, no, I'll your, tell you. Your, so what I would
0: have done? Yeah, if I was the premier's director of communications, like yes. on the political side, yes, I would have called Tom. And I would have said that was brutal. You know it was brutal. We know it was brutal, but we also know it's not substantive. And it mm-hmm. was just a, you know, it was a, it's a glitch that has to do with the Dodge Ram. So, uh, we'd like to give you something substantive in return. If basically you make a deal, like that goes away and you get to sit down with the premier or something to that effect, right? Um. Now, some, some journalists will be okay with that, some not, because some will say, yeah, that is actually deeply unsubstantive. And I'd much rather ask them hard, real questions about mm-hmm. the province of Alberta for 20 minutes than I would see him struggle with a gas pump. Cause yeah. that's, that's just gotcha. Um, but it, you've got to, you got to have the right relationships in order to do that. You've got to be quick in order to do that. Because in this day and age, you're throwing that shit I mean, up. Those on Twitter. trades
1: still happen, Corey? Like, if oh, for sure. If we're the- fucking sure they do yeah, all the time.
0: Yeah. Right. And, and it becomes a question of uh, – usually not so crass or so thick. Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, but it, if somebody says, for example, we've got this story uh, and you say we're announcing that in two days anyhow. How about we give you a sit down on that story and you hold the embargo until then? That's more the kind of trade that still happens perpetually. But trades happen all of the yeah. time in that space there.
1: Carter? Right? Oh, do you want to jump in more, Corey, on what you would have done immediately once you get back in the truck? Well, the Carter –
0: <laughs> After sobbing deeply for 15 minutes, uh, no, <laughs> no, I, I think that's it. That's, that's your options. Besides that, yeah, you want to be able to go quick on the social media and have your response, but the reality is that's going to run around. The number of people who sent that to me in a 30 minute span was pretty unreal. Yeah, I, yeah. That was virality, the likes of which you don't often see in a province of like Alberta. There's 1.2 million views on this thing Tom Ross put out. Who, by the way, must be as popular with the premier's office as Madison Cawthorn? Is it an orgy? Yeah. Right it's
1: just <laughs> Jesus Christ. C- Carter. Carter. Uh, that's a very, that's a deep I'm cut. always a little um,
2: jealous when you say Jesus Christ and it's not followed by Carter. It's always a little bit upsetting for me. It's
1: I do it for the guy prefer- that was actually raised Catholic. Yeah. Uh, Carter, um, <laughs> what? Uh, by the way, to both of you, Islam uh I, i'll tell you more about it at the live show that'd be great Thank really you. I'll, I'll tell actually i'll tell everyone about it at the live this show. is probably
0: this is probably not the week where it's easiest to sell that though oh,
1: right? i mean uh by the way we are uh, i don't know if everyone knows this but uh, no food will be allowed at the live show until the sun is set uh <laughs> we're actually following ramadan okay. rules uh, um, <laughs> just you just said
2: there'd be alcohol no at seven o'clock i said the bar will be open okay okay and yeah. i will be arriving at eight <laughs> okay it's
1: not because i'm a prima donna it's because it's ramadan okay carter um uh, what would you have done? You get back into the truck. What was your first? What's your first uh, instinct? Is it is it the trade or is it something else? If if you're if you're uh, right in the ship,
2: uh, first thing I'm doing is I'm reinforcing with the candidate or the premier or whoever. That was good. Don't worry about it. The fact, <laughs> the fact. <that laughs> seriously? You're, no, seriously. You're going to go viral, right? Sometimes it doesn't matter. So what is he going to go viral about? Why the fuck was he pumping gas into his truck? Oh yeah the decrease in the gas tax. More no one p- remembers
1: that. No one is remembering that. they true. No one is trying...
2: Not true. Oh, that's, more, that's people, not more people know about... More people know about this than they would have if this thing hadn't gone viral. I'm not saying it's the best way to do things. I'm not saying you're setting out to do this. But if it happens, it's not all bad. The premier didn't look like an asshole. He looked like someone who was, you know, you know, it, it was taking him aback. He, You know, the world didn't end it was just something that happened and in the overall scheme of things you can't let that get you down you like you don't want that to stand in the way of doing the next photo op you don't want someone to say when you go to plan the next photo op well we can't do that shit remember that time we just put the the you know we put the gas pump in the gas tank and we couldn't get the damn thing out oh that's terrible let's not do any more you got to reinforce with your candidate. You 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 did achieve the goal. The goal was to make sure that people knew that you were taking an action to vote gas. More people know it today than than than, know to, than knew about it before. You achieved the goal. That's honestly the first thing I'm doing. The second thing I'm doing is looking for what they did, and that's the humor in it.
1: I thought self-deprecation.
2: I thought that that was fantastic. I mean, you know, even even to tweet. It, He could have tweeted the actual thing and say, you know, cause Tom Ross, when he wrote the tweet, basically said, I can't imagine standing in front of a bunch of cameras and having this type of thing happen to him. Jason Kenney could have tweeted something very simple like, yeah, me neither. Or I wish, (laughs) I wish I could forget or something like that. And it would have been just fine. Like get in front of it, laugh along with the people laughing and you're, 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 10 times better off. The worst thing to do is have the candidate think, well, that fucking sucked, and everything being negative for the next 24, 46, you know, 48 hours.
1: Corey, react to Carter's ma- Carter candidate management strategy here. I mean, I think there's a general agreement where he went with the other piece, but the candidate management strategy here around telling the candidates not at all bad it, it can. Like, what do you think of that? I'm kind of curious from your your eye of having dealt with in many candidates and elected uh, officials. What do you think of, of that candidate management approach?
0: I, th- I think it's okay, although it's not quite the way I would approach it. Um, I, because there is no doubt the candidate is going to see negative feedback on this, is going to hear people saying, oof. So I think you do have to maintain your credibility with your candidate and say oh fuck well that's not the way we thought it was going to go that wasn't ideal Mm -hmm. but on the plus side people are going to be talking about this and on the plus side there's what are the things they're not going to be talking about as a result because let's be clear Mm. there's a lot of things going on right now that jason kenny would rather not be discussing everything from rcmp investigations to leadership review accusations so um is it really that that bad for him for the past 3 days we've been asking whether he can pump gas of course the man can fucking pump gas of course he can um uh, and and so that just becomes kind of a silly thing that his opponents will latch onto and and make jokes about but is it fundamentally going to change how people see the premier of alberta i seriously doubt it so you know if i was in the truck with him and i was saying that i'd be like yeah not not great, but there's a silver lining here, yeah. rather than just saying it's all silver lining.
1: Put the rules together for me again, guys. What were they from the top? So, Corey, you had a couple on your page, right? you ultimately saying, don't let them see you sweat. Carter, you've thrown in the, the humor aspect. What other sort of rules, so to speak, if you were trying to enshrine this as a bit of a one-pager, would you leave folks with on uh, gaff management?
0: Well, I think the speed thing does need speed. to be captured. Yeah, yeah, speed matters. Speed Sparter. and d- what else?
2: And don't let it define you. Like it, it it, hmm. it, it, try not to make the mistake to begin with, right? But don't let the gaffe define you because the gaffe is going to happen. There's going to be things that happen outside of your control, and uh, you know sometimes they're got on camera. I can tell you stories about candidates, you know, uh, candidate doing a photo op that. Uh, jumped off a rock and gave herself a concussion and had to spend the rest of the day in the hospital. Um, so that didn't show up in the news because that didn't get that wasn't that didn't turn out to be the picture. So we got lucky. But those types of things happen all over the t- all the time. Don't allow yourself to be defined by the gaff. Try and own it as you move past it. Corey,
1: round us out. What other rules do you want to throw on the on the table here?
0: Think about whether it actually matters. The really, And maybe that's not the words for the rule, but the really damning gaffes are the ones that reinforce the negative that exists about you mm-hmm. already, right? So George Bush, George H.W. Bush at a grocery store seeing like a, a laser scanner, being just an absolute marvel about this technology as though he had not walked into one. You know, this was the 80s. And even in the 80s, they were not new, right? Maybe it was the early 90s. Dan Quayle, potato, trying to add an E. Well, the the thing is, is is Dan Quayle a lightweight? Is he an idiot? So that sort of reinforces him being a lightweight, just as the grocery scanner reinforces an out-of-touch elite, just as Stockwell Day showing up in a wetsuit is just the shallowest man in the world. And so some of these things become reinforcing of criticisms that exist and criticisms that are substantive and will actually change votes. I actually don't believe this is one of them. You don't I think, think this so? Is Im- no, I, I absolutely I don't, don't. I think this is and embarrassing. And both of you are saying no. Interesting. Okay. I think it's embarrassing, but it doesn't reinforce a negative about Jason Kenny. Like It's not like people are sitting around saying, okay, guy, but I really question his ability to pump gas. Yeah, I've is always it thought pump, of is him. It
1: pump, is it pump gas? No, it's like
0: for... do normal things He's... would be the equivalent. But is that something people actually say about Jason Kenny? I don't think mm. so.
2: Yeah, I mean, Pardon? we all know the blue truck's a prop. But no one thinks he doesn't pumped gas before. No one thinks he's never bought milk. Right? Like this is this is a guy who's uh
1: So you think the you think the space between the prop truck and all those other normal tasks is, is, is large enough that that it, it doesn't bridge one to the other,
2: so yeah. to speak. It, it would be out, like he's not because it's not because he's driving his Prius hybrid that he's not able to figure this out. Right. Like he's got his Tesla and he hasn't been able to figure out how to how to pump gas because all he does is <laughs> yeah. know how to plug in his Tesla.
0: He's secretly got a smart car. He drives around at night. Yeah. yeah no.
2: And there's that. no one fueling his car for him. You know, like he it, it's just it's just awkward. But I think because we all know that he's actually got a security team that drives him 99 percent of the places and the truck is a prop truck. That's just We're going to leave part. that
1: segment there. We're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our next segment, our next segment, pure and Simple. Yes, we spent 43 minutes, Corey, <laughs> on a photo-off. <laughs> on a 12-second video clip. We extended that to 43 minutes uh, because that's the value that people get from this show. And and think about the value they'll get on a Thursday. Guys, the Peer Poly campaign, the rallies, the social media, the announcement a, a day, the uh, hookah. Uh, crypto bro <laughs> videos. I mean I have to say this is not my cup of tea. I suspect it's none of our cups of tea, but there seems to be something going right and something happening with the pure Poographic campaign and Carter, I want to ask, am I wrong? Am I wrong in my assessment of of the energy, the momentum, what they're producing here? like from a once again let's just make this a through line of the episode from a practitioner's eye, when you're dissecting what you're seeing, is it good? Is it noteworthy? What are you, What are you kind of feeling, and what are you kind of uh, analyzing when you see the Pure Polyev campaign go through uh, this spring?
2: I keep looking for reasons why it's not real. I keep looking for mm. a reason not to believe it, right? And and I can come up with a few. I can come up with like these are the true believers, right? These the the, the far right has been the most active uh, group over the over the past. Uh, 3 years, you know, as we've kind of gone through our covid problem, they've stayed very active, they're the ones most likely to protest, they're the ones most likely to go out to an event. Those those people are are very engaged and they've also been the funding core uh for the conservative party. So I want to be able to say things like this isn't real, he's just appealing to a group of people. Uh a small group of people who that manifest themselves in a more um you know, a more cohesive fashion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but then I, you know, I look at the absolutely anemic campaigns coming out of the others and it's like, man, like these guys, he's, this, this guy's got something going on and it is bigger. Um, it's well, it certainly is the bigger half, uh, if you will, um, of, of, of the conservative cake at this time, for sure. It's, it's big. Corey,
1: when you're seeing this, you know, uh, I mentioned and I and I just blew past it, but massive rallies across the, the country, um, videos every day. He's obviously had that massive social media following that he's built over the last couple of years. So clearly leveraging that with, with videos and content constantly being produced. You then end on top of that, just the, the announcement a day dominating some of the earned media coverage, at least in the confines of the race. How are you looking at this when you see it from from your perch?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, some campaigns so clearly have it, you know, you just know, looking at it, they're filling venues, they're getting money, there's enthusiasm, it seems legitimately grassroots, <clears throat> and not that manufactured grassroots that Stephen Carter and I have specialized in over the years.
1: Right? <laughs> we pay to grassroots it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: This is one of those campaigns, he, his campaign clearly has it. The question for me is, will it sustain for two months? I have no reason to believe otherwise right now. But at the membership cutoff on June 3rd, there's not a lot of reason to believe based on this initial performance that he's in anything except a great position. Uh, You look at the polls of memberships writ large, he leads. You look at the enthusiasm within the members and the donors, he clearly leads. I, I don't know. If I was sitting in one of the other campaigns saying, how do I construct a winning coalition, well, I don't know. You don't have the numbers, and you don't have the enthusiasm. So, how are you going to construct a winning coalition? Uh, probably, your best bet is to to say, "Okay, this is clearly going to be a campaign that is anybody but Pierre." At the end of the day, and and start working that accordingly, and go out and build those uh, coalitions where you can. But yeah, there are some front runners that are tough to catch, and this feels like one.
1: Carter, you know, I this is this is interesting about the notion of a front runner campaign. You've often said and we've talked about it on this podcast before how in 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 the right situation you wouldn't want to be the front
2: runner yeah. in this case would you want to be the front runner well i think there's uh geez so most of the time when you don't want to be the front runner it's either because there's a momentum opportunity so there's a large percentage of the pop of the population of, of voters that are undecided and they will move in and they will fall in um either probably against the front runner or or there's more of an equal opportunity to get them. Um, A leadership race can be a little bit tricky in that regard. Now, the other place where not being the front runner is really dangerous is in a preferred, you know, preferential ballot type of structure. Uh, The preferential ballot means that if you get less, basically the math works out to if you get less than 40% on the first ballot, um, it's very difficult to pick up the rest because there's a reason why people don't vote for you on the first ballot, they don't like you enough. So there's there's certain math that you can use to uh, to to leap from second place or third place, as Ed Stelmach did or Alison Redford did in the leaderships here in Alberta uh, in the uh, early two thousand in the two thousands. Um, this feels a little bit different. This mm. feels like Justin Trudeau, uh, where it didn't matter what the rules are. He is such a front runner in the liberal leadership that, you know, Martha Hall Finley is just not going to catch him, right? It's just not going to work out. Um, maybe Mark Carney could have, could have played something, but realistically, uh, Justin, that, that was Justin Trudeau's to lose. And Pierre is now getting into the place where it could be his to lose, right? And it doesn't matter what the process looks like. I think, you know, having specialized and run. Running underdog campaigns, I've, I've, I do believe that Pierre was was gettable, but I just think that Charest's campaign has been so bad um, that he just isn't going to be in a position to get him at the end. So, I think right now Pierre's campaign might be one of those front runner campaigns that you'd want to be on.
1: Corey, how how if you were advising uh, one of the other candidates right now, Brown and Shere, uh, to take the mantle of Anyone but Pierre. How how do you do that? Like Carter, you've done campaigns like this where you've coalesced against a quote unquote front runner. Uh, you've kind of taken all the votes off the table, coalesced uh, your your opponents, collapsed them, uh, put them to your candidate. Corey, what would you kind of advise them? Is there anything they can do? It's such a weird question in some ways because you talked about momentum, you talked about numbers and enthusiasm. How are you kind of building the anyone but Pierre campaign right now?
0: well it's in some ways it's the fundamentals of an election, just a general election right you 've got to find a way to put him on the wrong side of a wedge where everybody's on one side of the wedge and they're on and he's on the other and so that's a little trickier for the conservatives because, yeah, yeah you mentioned two candidates who he could clearly wedge against him alone saying he's too right wing yeah right, not electable, but is that going to work with Lesland lewis's supporters? No, if anything, you're just going to push them to make. Their second choice, Pierre, instead of uh, you know Charette or, or Brown. So it's got to be it's got to be something a little more nuanced than that. Or maybe there's yeah. got to be multiple things and multiple strategies here. Um, but y- you need to to effectively say this guy has you know he just condemns the Conservative Party to the wilderness. True conservative could win. Career conservative can't, or something to that effect. I'm not really sure what it is at this point, but that's the challenge they have. Um, it's easier in some situations than others to do an anyone but, because there's one candidate who's so clearly to the right of the other candidates or to the left. But interestingly, Pierre is not the most right-wing candidate yeah. <laughs> running for the yeah. conservative leadership, yeah. so he's a, he's in a great position right
1: now. Carter, what are your thoughts? Like, what's both from a morale, like internally, as well as organizational perspective? If you're on one of the other two, let's say a brown or a charade campaign right now, what do you? What's going through your mind um, when you how- when you see this? When you see the social media, when you see the numbers, when you see all of this, you're like, "Fuck!" What what are you thinking? How are you processing it? If you're inside one of those camps, and I'm making them uh, interchangeable, but feel free to, yeah, sure. to disentangle them if you'd like.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, so I think I'm going to approach it different. Like if I'm less than than Lewis's campaign, I'm thinking, how can I slice off a piece of that for myself? Right? Like how do I, how do I take that, that, uh, how do I go find that crazy right wing side? If I'm, if I'm Patrick Brown or Jean Charest's campaign, I'm saying, what have we done wrong? What have we done wrong that we haven't been able to run the campaign that we need to run? And I'm trying to, I'd probably be making changes right now. Um, there, there are multiple campaigns that can be run in any campaign. You do not have to run the same campaign to be in the leadership, right? Like, you know, Pierre Polyev's large rallies and such doesn't need to be the model that that everybody else follows. Everybody else can right. be doing a different style of campaign. But I would, I, if I was in Brown and Brown and Chiray's campaign specifically, I'd be saying, "How is it that?" Uh, what kind of campaign is available to us that we can look as successful as this guy that is now the front runner, um, in people's minds? Because I need to be able to start pointing the things that, that put us in the game. And, uh, that's probably the thing I'd be working on right now is what type of campaign do we need to run? And, and it's going to be easier said than done it doesn't pop into my little brain right around away. like
1: what that swim lane is that you can own that shows yeah, some like, some metric of viability like it's you're not going to win on at least what he has right now right like right. the metrics that he's killing on so competing in that lane doesn't make sense but you you are you struggling with am i getting this right to find a lane that could be like oh shit jean chariot is doing really good at
2: x yeah I, if i was chariot right now i wouldn't step set foot outside of quebec Right. I I would say there are 75 ridings there and we're going to kick ass in Quebec. And then once I've established that I own Quebec, then I'd go to where he was today in Halifax and I would say I own now Quebec and I own uh, Atlantic Canada. Right. And And if I own Atlantic Canada and Quebec, I am in this. Um, And that's probably what I would start doing is saying, okay, that lane may be available to us. That lane may be there. And then if I were Patrick Brown, I'd say, okay, I'm going to own all of Southern Alberta, Southern Alberta, (laughs) Freudian, Uh, Southern Southern Ontario, right? I am going to own it. And if I'll tell you something, if the 905 in Toronto is owned by Patrick Brown and Quebec and uh, Atlantic Canada are owned by Jean Charest, all of a sudden this is a much different race. But right now. It looks like everywhere that the the Pierre Polyev train stops, he owns. So you better start showing showing some ownership.
1: Coy, you wanted to you wanted to get in on here, and I see you nodding to Carter's last two points around the dynamics of uh, Brown owning Ontario, Share owning uh, Quebec. But your thoughts on like how how these two campaigns may want to think about uh, what they're seeing.
0: Yeah, well, there is definitely some logic in carving up real estate. That's less important in a preferential ballot. Obviously, you want to fish where there's fish. So Charest is going to have better luck in Quebec. Brown's going to have better luck in the 905. That's where they should focus their efforts accordingly. But that doesn't mean either is required to ignore the other areas. But yeah, I I agree with Stephen. Everywhere that Polyev goes, there's big crowds, including in southern Ontario, including in the 905, including in Ottawa, right across the river from that Quebec stronghold of Jean Charest, allegedly, right? So you've got to think about, as always, and I hate to say it because I often would say this is not a winning strategy in a general election, but you've got to expand – the number of voters out there. If you if you can't win the voters that exist in a leadership review, you've got to expand the number of voters there. And I'm just waiting for somebody and I assumed it would be Sheree, maybe it could be Brown too, to run with a like I'm not asking you to buy a membership to vote conservative. I'm asking you to buy a membership to vote for a sane conservative party. Like That feels like that's there for so many Canadians yeah, Yeah, who are watching with horror. And you you can follow it up. You don't need to look like you're not a conservative. You say, and you know what? Once we're done with having a, a credible conservative party, I'll be coming back to you to talk about the benefits of small government, economic growth, expanded liberty. But right now, this is a battle for the soul of a party and by extension, the soul of this nation. Like That to me feels like that's something that could get people who are not conservatives but are politically active, maybe to shell out what twenty bucks by a conservative party membership.
1: Carter, you got animated there, which uh, someone, if it was Thursday, would be able to see on the live stream. Yeah, uh, uh, Carter. But uh, what did you? What did you want to jump in with?
2: I just, I, you know, I, I reject Polyev's prime primary like freedom. Yeah, like it, freedom. Know, we're going to be the most free country in in the world. What are, what freedoms am I missing right now? Like what freedoms am I not entitled to? What am I not getting? I don't even understand what what it is. Hey man, can you buy shawarma with bitcoin? Just just say it. Uh, like yeah, you made actually, you know what? I'm now Pierre Poliev. Can
1: can, thank you return, you. can you return? Can you return shawarma for cash? <laughs> These are questions <laughs> can, you, can you launder money through shawarma i don't know now but, i have other
0: questions
2: uh, me Very me good. taking uh, campaign money from bitcoin turns out to be a good call so that's good for me financially it worked out so thank you guys
1: hey, hey carter a question for you you know okay this might sound cynical but i have to ask you this which is <laughs> which is like as a strategist when you see a campaign whether it's your own right? You're self-analyzing. Or another that's just firing on all cylinders. Let's just agree that this one is. What warning signs do you have for it or for that campaign? What risks are you looking at? Like that a campaign that's just going really well, uh, what what do you kind of see as potential downsides of that and I, that almost sounds like antithetical like what do you mean it's going great it's like they'll maintain the momentum but what fail points and or risks or other things are you looking at for a campaign that seems to be hitting on on all and hitting their stride and on all levels
2: It's really easy to win at the beginning and hard to win at the end and uh, the things that make you win at the beginning aren't the same things that make you win at mm. the end now leaderships are a little bit different so I'll just kind of leave that out there but in general, um, the things that make you win with the hyper engaged, the people who pay attention at the beginning of these races are often not the things that make you win at the end of the race with the less engaged, right? So need the to peop- come in. Right. Yeah. And so to attract new people, to build the tent, if you will, um, like, so in the mayoralty race, Jeremy Farkas was doing very, very well. Jeremy Farkas, if you're following, a, uh, if you were following, uh, Calgary politics, Jeremy Farkas was the anti-Nenchy. And so if you didn't like Nancy, you already knew who your guy was but you had to be kind of following politics to know that you didn't a like Nenshi and b you know who this guy was that was opposing him you needed to be somewhat hyper engaged somewhat engaged already and pierre has reached out and found the hyper engaged of the conservative party he has said the words freedom to them so many times that they forgot to go and, and uh put canadian flags on their trucks um While they struggled to get the gas, you know, the gas pump out of their gas tank. This this is who they are. And he's found them. Great. If that remains the only audience, you're gonna win. But just being able to speak to that audience may alienate you from other audiences. And so if I was talking to the Sheree and Brown campaigns, I'd say don't sweat it yet. But do know that if you don't find a way to bring in the next level of like we, you know, Allison Redford was at 19% with two weeks to go. You know, she got 19% of the first ballot and she wound up winning the next week. Well, or two weeks later. Why? Well, because we engaged a whole bunch of new people. Women came in and said, yeah, we can have this woman become premier, right? We like what she's talking about. And they came in en masse because they could buy memberships right up until the second ballot. That's that's what I mean is like the less engaged came in and changed the race. Now, in this particular case, it's harder. The less engaged have to be involved before the June cutoff, right? So it's it's going to be tougher. But I do think that just because you appeal well at the beginning doesn't mean you appeal well at the end.
1: Corey, what, what lessons, if any, are you taking from what you see right now in the PR campaign? Whether it be if you're um you know, the liberals right now and, and watching this thing as the governing party or the NDP, or just simply as a political practitioner? Are there any lessons or or things you'd want to underline that this campaign is doing well that you'd kinda either double down on or, or wanna wanna note uh, as you as you observe it?
0: Well there's things from the outside that I would instantly say, okay, is is any of that replicable? But mm. Any campaign worth its salt as it's going on always is looking at what the other campaigns are doing and what's working for them, why uh, and what's not. Both in a let's steal it if it's a good idea sense, but also is there a way we can derail this? Is there there an inherent weakness in this that Uh we can point out? Um, And if you wanted to be deeply cynical, you could say things like, uh, wow, that's a pretty monochromatic crowd that uh, Pierre Polyevs had in a lot of different locations. For example – um, you know, it seems to be a combination of gray hair and no hair at other locations. That like there, there are things that you look for to dismiss uh, it is,
1: if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah,
0: yeah, dents in the armor that you can start poking at there. Um, yeah, to be careful that you don't see that and convince yourself that means you're actually winning or anything like that. Because guess what? They get to vote too. But um, if you see things that are working for them, then go and say, okay, well, how did they get 300 people to this event? What were the channels that they used? What were the messages that they used? Is any of that available to us? Is it specific to who he is? Is it specific to his message? Um, and, and just grab the components you can as you can. I, mean, I say it all the time, and I'll say it again. Good strategy comes from good analysis, and a huge part of analysis on any campaign is having your head up and looking about and seeing what the other team is doing too. So you've got to be keeping an eye on that and seeing what you can learn from it.
1: Carter, let's ask you the more specific question: If you're the governing liberals right now, what are you? What are you looking at, and how worried are you? If you are in the PMO, if you're in the Liberal Party operation right now, how worried are you? How skeptical are you of what you're seeing? from what Pierre Poliova is doing, at least how he's mobilizing to your point, Carter, the hyper engaged and perhaps creating a new cohort of hyper engaged, uh, with this campaign, uh, right now.
2: I don't think this is a great move for democracy. I don't think that, you know, Pierre and his, um, misinformation campaigns, because that's ultimately what I do think they are is misinformation. This is how he, he tends to win. He takes uh, a kernel of truth and turns it into a, a, two and a half minute video. um, I don't think that's good for politics, but I don't think it's bad for the liberals. Um, I think that, you know, Corey pointed out the, the age and, uh, ethnicity issues that, that Pierre's running into. Um, the liberals, I think, still have the best possible outcome having Pierre win, right? It it, 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 he is the, he is to the right and their move to the left, I think, does kind of, slow them down but i think that the canadian population is following this right left break and uh there's more on their side less on on pierre's side so i think that from their point of view they're probably looking at it and and they should be worried that he's a better organizer than them but i don't think that they need to worry that he is a better he's better in step with the canadian population
1: Corey, do you agree with that what would you be looking at right now if you're the governing liberals
0: I suspect right now the governing liberals are looking at it and kind of laughing and saying, we could only be so fucking lucky. Um, um, although I, I would say if I were them, approach with humility, be careful. Yeah. Uh, the reality is he has shown some strengths here. And also, as I've said many times, sometimes governments just lose, even if the other option is bad, right? General elections, though, are very broad based and Turnout does tend to be 70, 80% these days, yeah. right? It's not like when we were scraping down into the low 50s in the 90s when when it just seemed like low stakes, low interest elections here. It's hard for me to imagine that in a broad-based voter pool that uh, Poiliev is going to do particularly well. So um does make it more likely the Liberals win. It does, of course, make the consequences of them losing more significant, and so that's Part of why I would be a little bit nervous. I mean, think about how much people joked about, oh, Donald Trump is the candidate for the Republicans now. Well, now, look, anything goes unwinnable. But look at the consequences. If, if you're the liberals, though, don't don't get into it too much. You, you want to get all your oppo ready. You mm-hmm. want to just absolutely crush this guy coming out of the gate if he wins with the leadership he has provided you much much fuel to do so uh you want to find him really hard and really fast the way stefan dion was the way michael ignachif was when the shoe was on the other foot um but now is not the time to be mixing up in the uh, conservative party election but good strategy comes from good analysis so watch it very very closely
2: be ready to hit the ground running in september october we'll leave that over.
1: segment there Thank you, Carter. We're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, I don't know if you've heard, but we do this for you. The final segment we always do for you. Stephen Carter, overrated, underrated photo ops.
2: Um, I think they're overrated. I think at the end of the day, uh, photos aren't as important as they once were.
1: Corey, overrated, underrated political photo ops. We spent 43 minutes on this segment. Uh, thank you, Carter, for the overall uh, overrated.
2: Thank I can't you. believe the, we spent that much time on anything. The,
1: they're underrated.
0: I think there is a general cynicism about photo ops. People roll their eyes and say, oh, just a photo op. Pick up your goddamn newspaper and look at how many of the pictures oh are God. photo ops How many of us have definition. picked up
2: a newspaper in the last year? Okay, well, go yeah, to a God, website.
1: Are you going to poll?
2: What's going on, Jesus Christ? <laughs> how old and white are you, man? Like, yeah,
1: Jesus <laughs> Christ. And Catholic. Oh, my God. Oh, jeez, Corey, are you in or out on how Kenny handled uh, his, uh, his, his gaffe?
0: I guess I'm I'm pseudo in. It had to be faster, I think, than he ended up doing. There were ways that he could have done a little bit better. And ultimately, uh, is this the photo op you needed? I actually think that it's funny because it was such a... It was such a Kenny-centric photo op. It should have been a photo op of somebody else getting gas, a family, you know, somebody with a minivan who has three screaming kids in the back saying, thank God the premier has reduced the price of gas. Why do we want a premier who many people, and I am not one of them, think is grossly overpaid, sitting there filling up his fuck-off giant gas-guzzling truck? Saying, oh good, now, now we're great. I mean, I I just think tonally it was off. It should have been about Albertans. It should not mm-hmm. have been about him to begin with. But if you sort of accept the event as was, his response to it was fine. It was a B minus, but it was a it was a you know an awkward event that just sort of occurred. Never should have been in that situation in the first place, but not because of the great risks of pumping gas, because <laughs> because it shouldn't have been about the premier.
1: Uh, thank you for the unsolicited uh, grading Corey, uh, as well. Uh, Carter, yeah. are you in or out on the class action lawsuit? Are you uh, are you jumping in? Are you going <laughs> are you going to jump in on the class action lawsuit?
2: Yeah. I'm actually uh, buying that truck so I can get in on the track <laughs> uh, on the lawsuit.
1: It's very good, uh, Carter. Interrupted how Kenny dealt with it. By the way, Corey wanted a, a family at the pump, just like bathing in gas. That's what he wanted I the photo think, op to be. I
2: think that that was actually an idea pitched in the West Wing season six. So, way to go, Corey, for stealing your ideas uh, from the West Wing. Uh, but you know, it'll be fine. No, I think uh, you know, whatever he he should have he should have done everything faster. Um, but I don't think it was that bad.
1: Carter, are you uh, thinking it's overrated or underrated, this this peer polyethic momentum that we see right now, this campaign momentum? You talked about it from the hyper-engaged perspective, but overrated or underrated, what you see between now uh, and, and the end of the race, what are you seeing?
2: I want it to be overrated. I think it's probably underrated. I think that these are the people who vote in the leadership. Um, so, mm. you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see uh, what blocks of voters are brought out and how they're organized. Um, if, if, if multiple blocks are brought to the table, then maybe it becomes interesting. And I know that that's supposed to be uh, Patrick Brown's uh, real strength is, is his ability to do ethnic organizing. So maybe that'll turn it into a game.
1: Corey, overrated, underrated the early momentum by the frontrunner, Pierre Pelleyer, in the conservative leadership race. Feels like
0: one of those rare moments that's rated pretty much exactly right. I think most mm-hmm. of the commentary says, "Oh boy, it looks like he's going to win this thing," but is not going over the top. Is not talking about Pierre mania
1: or anything like that. Pierre mania? Oh, good God! Can, can you imagine, Carter? Can you imagine?
2: I mean, anybody named Pierre going, you know, getting a mania in in Canada is that even allowed? Got
1: never horrible. heard of it Corey final one here and this of course a big news story that you want to talk more we want to talk more about but Pope Francis has apologized for the conduct of some of some of members of the Roman Catholic Church in Canada's residential school system following a week of talks with First Nations Inuit and metis delegations what do you make of that are you are you in or out on this uh, this apology from what you're sensing uh, right now the the, the, the positives that many are saying is that it's unprecedented the negative many are saying well does not acknowledge the systemic nature it's kind of isolating the some members uh part of it what are you kind of thinking when you process this top line thoughts we'll of course discuss it on a future episode
0: you you've unpacked it the way that I feel about it, which oh. is on one hand I'm I'm thinking well by Catholic Church standards it's pretty far, and I'm sure there's a lot of very angry hardliners in the church because of the Pope's uh, comments, I- including in this country. I would imagine um, th- there's going to be a lot of angry uh, hard right Catholics. On the other hand, given the scope of what went on, it does seem insufficient, doesn't it? So, but you know, it's in some ways people. We, we'd like to think the church should be something more than just a corporation, but in many ways it acts just like a corporation. And there are liability questions as well. Mm. And so the, uh, the Catholic church probably went as far as you could reasonably expect it to be, maybe even a little further than I thought it was going to end up.
1: Carter, your thoughts on this. And, and maybe I'll throw in another one. Do you feel like this inches us closer to a domestic on the soil of Canada apology by the Pope?
2: I think it's an important apology. I, I'm not certain that it gets us any closer. I, I'm hope oh. I, I would imagine, um, like we we continue to struggle with what reconciliation and justice looks like. Uh, you know, how do we get past this this um, the situation and. I think that the the apology is always appropriate. It's always appropriate to say you're sorry for things that have been done, um, but it's also appropriate to 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 step forward and try and make things right. And I I don't know that the Catholic Church and the Canadian government have necessarily oh. been able to step forward to start to make things right yet. Um, there seems to be a uh, "time heals all wounds" type of scenario with. Um, you know, but it it really doesn't, it, you know, generational, um, generational impact will be, it continues to be felt. And, you know, one need only look at the statistics, uh, the statistics of uh, indigenous youth and care in, in the province of Alberta, tell us a story that says that things aren't right. Things aren't right yet. And uh, given the fact that the numbers haven't changed in probably 20 years, um, it doesn't look like we're making much in the way of good progress to fix this generational problem. Uh, so I, I, I applaud the Pope for his decision uh, to, to apologize. Um, but it's one of those situations where an apology is simply not going to be enough. And we as Canadians need to step up and figure out how to fix something that, frankly, most of us, uh, certainly me on this side of the microphone, I don't have the answer Um, So I'll be looking forward to listening to those who may.
1: I'm going to talk a lot more about that, but we'll leave that there. That's a wrap on episode 979 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, and we'll see some of you on Thursday. Fucking 14 people, if we have two rows of 10, it wouldn't even be filled, Carter. I'm not showing up for 14 people, okay? Yeah, you can show up, but I will not show up for 14 people.
2: We have to commit to the process. Okay, we'll we commit we'll to the trust You the promised, process. Thousands, Four- of you promised <laughs> of thousands of people. 14 people signed We didn't tell anybody there was a benefit. We didn't tell anybody there was a reason to do this. And then we fuck around with the URL. No one knows where they are supposed to go to actually buy the fucking thing. So how about if we do this? How about if we point The Strategist Patreon and Strategist Patreon to the same fucking page where people fucking pay us for the fucking podcast? I'm okay. You
0: done? Well, you done?
2: I'm a little cranky about it because, you know, we 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 put it off and we put it off. And then it's like, I only got you guys to do the live show because I booked the venue. I'm 25. I'm still 2,500 bucks into the venue. I, I don't know when we get paid back. I look, I don't have a contract with ATP. They haven't even told me when we get the money back. <laughs> so, you know, how about we start the Patreon up and every month they pay us pay us for a product that we give to them and they that has value and how about if we stop fucking around and just tell people what the url is Corey? oh fuck i just realized i can't make it on
1: thursday i'm speaking to i a will junior- fucking kill you <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking to a junior varsity football team actually they have 16 members on that team i think i think i'll be sticking to more people i think i'll be sticking to more fucking people carter this is ridiculous.
2: I'm so what angry ha- right now.
1: What happened to the riches? What happened to the money? What is
2: Listen, going on? If we'd been doing – we've done a 1,000 episodes of this show. If we Alleged, had been,
1: allegedly. Allegedly. allegedly.
2: If, <laughs> if we had been smart and monetized it, we can sell ads. Do you want me to start – I'm going to look into selling ads. That's what I'm going to do. We don't want to sell ads, so we want to do the Patreon. That's what you guys said. I've set it up. How about if we promote it properly? Okay, here's
1: a, here's, a, here's a promotion. If someone's still listening, Thursday episode, it's going to be pure fire. Um, so it's going to be like middle of the road episode. Probably one of our most mediocre ones that will be yeah. <laughs> uh, And you want to be there because it's what everyone's going to be talking about on the water cooler on Friday morning. Sorry, I mean I lost
2: my temper, guys. Yeah, that's upset.
1: fine. I mean, listen, what else? There's It's a pretty good pitch, Corey. Okay. We could do a bunch of shit for that Thursday episode that I think people will enjoy.
0: You don't know what you're gonna do
1: yet.
2: No do you? fucking clue. <laughs> no nope. You don't know what you're doing on the live show yet either, do you?
1: Why would I But That's a, an even further show away. That's yeah. uh, what Saturday at Sunday at seven thirty is for.
2: <laughs> no Sunday at four. Okay? I need you there for the technical rehearsal. I need okay, you good, to understand. Good.
1: This. Anything else, Corey? Can I go now?
2: <laughs> Can I go?
1: Can I be released from this hell?